And I, I, I always think that uh, the amount and the, and the deliciousness of the food served is indirectly proportional to the number of questions asked. And I'm right. So, so today is not as, I don't think it's as delicious as the other days. And the quantity is not as much as the other day. The other day I got only of a four, and today I got this much. So, so, so I'm going to tell the chef. So this is an indication of the deliciousness of the food and the amount. Anyway, uh, let me answer these questions. Venerable, you spend so much time and money to build this fabulous temple and monastery. Are you not attached to it? <laughs> well, can I take this temple with me when I die? <laughs> Certainly I cannot. And uh, um, building a temple, are you not attached to it? Building a temple is not to attach to it. Building a temple is to promote uh, the Buddha's way of thinking, the Buddha's way of living, and is to convey a message. Building a temple is like a mission that if you, if you draw an analogy, it would like, it would like building a... Um, that, that's not a good analogy, but still an analogy that we can use. In, 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 um, you build a hospital. You build a hospital in the land where there's a lot of sick people. You build a hospital there. If this is a, with, is, is a country, it's a city with a lot of sick people, or in, in the interior part of Africa. Um, Albert Schweitzer. He went into the interior part of Africa, and he built a temple. Uh, not a temple, a hospital. And he spent a lot of money. He went back to England and, 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 and performed concerto and, and, uh, and, you know, to, to raise funds for it. He worked at it. He built it. And he developed it, and he also hired people and nurses and all over the place to, to, to do this temple. Is that an attachment? Did he attach to it? He had this mission of trying to help the interior, the natives in the interior part of Africa. Um, he built a hospital, and his, his mission is to, is to cure the, the, the disease to help these poor natives. And his, he didn't attach to it. It's the same analogy. A hospital um, saved lives, one lifetime. But a temple saves eternal life. If a person gets sick, he, went, he, he goes to a, a hospital and he got cured, or, you know, he get well again, you save his life. But you may not have saved his wisdom life. If he came into the hospital as a selfish, Egoistic individual, he went out the same. He's got health again, he's healthier again. He was extremely sick and he was going to die. He, he goes to a hospital and he got cured, comes out. He goes in egoistically and very selfish and, um, and he goes out again, the same. But in the temple, it's a little different. The temple cure not just the physical body, the mental body, the mental, the, the mentality, the mentality that affects the eternal life. Because if he's not cured in this life, 
as far as his mentality life is concerned, his wisdom, he would reincarnate into the next life. Reincarnate again and again and again. If during the process of reincarnation is performing bad deeds, bad deeds of what? Stealing, killing, committing all crimes and committing all immoral actions, then he will be in the loop of reincarnation again. So, the difference between building a hospital and building a temple is that temple saves eternal life. It saves mental sickness. It saves life eternally. You never have to get back to reincarnation again. No more suffering for him. Not to mention just suffering of certain sickness. But the hospital only cures the short-term, one-time deal. So you, 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 so you see the difference? So, reverend, uh, venerable spend a lot of money and, um, to build this fabulous temple and monastery. Are you not attached to it? You can say I attach only to the mission of building it. I don't attach to the material or the wealth or the reputation or the, the grandeur of this, the, the grandeur of it. I just attach to there is something I should do. I have a responsibility to fulfill. I have a mission to achieve. It's just like when, El, when, when, when um, Albert Schweitzer had that mission to save the Africans, he went into that interior part, the, the poorest part of the section of the country. We, like, we all like to be adventurous. We like to, we like to explore. We explore into no man's land. No man would explore that. We go in there. We try to render compassion. We try to help. 30 years ago when I came to Vancouver, there isn't a temple. No temple. No Buddhist temple. Except for one on 49th Street. That is a modified church. And then we say, oh, we're going to have this mission to fulfill. Yes, we're attached. But not, not, not attached to the material. We're attached to, if you want to call it attachment, there's not an attachment that is an objective, a mission to save. And once that mission is achieved, no attachment anymore. We achieve this, by the time when we have to go, we make sure that somebody else, or we make sure that the younger generation will be so trained to carry on the mission, and then we can, we can go peacefully. But not a trace of attachment, not a penny that we will take. We can't take even a penny with me when I died, or when we died. Can you take all, those, all your possessions when you died? Can you take anything with you when you died? You can't. So why are you attaching to your purse now? <laughs> why are you attaching to your jewelries, your apartment, your possessions? Well, it's okay that you earn your money, but sometimes if you, if you do it by, by all means, sometimes illegally, to acquire the money to achieve certain things, to acquire certain things, then you are committing bad karma. And bad karma will get you into the loop, into the, the mishap of reincarnation. So if you ask me, are you not attached to it? No, I'm not attached to it. I had a mission to fulfill. Unfortunately, I fulfilled that mission. And they said, you spend so much time and money, that's not my money. That's my time. Money comes from everywhere. I believe that if you, if you have a good mission, somehow you will have that wisdom to accomplish it. 
And when I first came in to, to BC in Vancouver, um, I didn't have any money to build any temple. What I got is a little bit of time. And, uh, and then we gather all this energy together, gather all this money, all this fun, and over the 30 years, we'll build a fantastic temple. Yes, because people appreciate the temple. Um, it's become, even become one of the, uh, the uh, it's even become a tourist attraction of Richmond. Not to say it's, it's religious connotation, it's spiritual connotation, which is quite helpful to people in the Lower Mainland. Not only that, all across the nation, all across Canada, they all know about this temple. So I don't attach to it. Uh, I, had, I had a mission to accomplish it, and I have a mission to maintain it, and I have the mission that when I'm still living, I want to, uh, to carry on the mission without taking a rest. The mission is fulfilled, I built this temple, but somebody, somebody say, that's the time when I should go on holidays. But, well, going on holiday, it's uh, not, as, not as happy as carrying out the mission. Uh, you, have to, you have to get, you have to find joy in what you're doing. Uh, to some people, being a volunteer in, in hospice care is extremely yucky. You know, who wants to hold the hands of a dying patient? For some people, he's compassionate, he wants to hold ha hands of a dying person and comfort him or her to make her pass away peacefully. That's the difference in karma. That's the difference in our look. That's the difference in personality. Who would like to look at a dying person? It scares me, I want to get away from him. But there are people who, who like to help dying people. So, I think I have only, I already spent 10 minutes for this question. I don't want to carry on, and I have a, a problem of lingering on, 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 on a question, um, thinking that it's not, my answer is not satisfactory enough. I'm always looking for the perfection in, in answering questions. That's my problem. So I'm, going to, I'm not going to attach to that idea. Okay. Um, okay, this, we should not, venerable, we should not get attached to sight, smell, hearing, touch, etc. So are you saying, I'm only guessing the question, are you saying that when, you, when we're attached to sight, smell, sound, and hearing, uh, then also says that we don't, don't attach to the Dharma, oh, you know what the meaning of Dharma is? You have to know what's the definition of Dharma not attached to the Dharma. Dharma has two meanings. Dharma means from the perspective of, of Mano Vijnana, the sixth mind. Remember we have eight consciousnesses. The first consciousness is smell, consciousness touch, hearing, tasting, seeing. The Mano consciousness interact with dharmas. What is dharma? Dharma is all objects including invisible objects, including images of the mind. So this dharma actually is a comprehensive term which embraces of everything in the universe. Not just objects, sound and smell and taste and touch. It attaches to images of the past, also the visions of the future too. So all that is dharma. 
There's one definition of Dharma, one meaning of Dharma. The other meaning of Dharma is, Buddh, is the, the Buddhist teaching. So of course you should not attach to the Dharma. If you, if you, in your dream you create certain images and you dream on it. Are you going to attach to that? That's fictitious. That's in your dream only. But in your dream you do attach to it. You attach to the happiness in the dream, the sadness in the dream. If you're sad in the dream, you cry. When you wake up, you still feel tears in your eyes. And if you're happy, you have that. You feel joyful when you wake up too. So you're attached. You're attached to your dreams. But even in the Buddhist teaching, the Buddhist teaching is just like a raft, a boat that gets you from this shore of confusion to that shore of enlightenment. That's about the Dharma. The, the Buddhist teaching. And once you get to that shore of enlightenment, of nirvana, you have to get off the boat. Don't attach to that dharma anymore. Just, just a means to get you to Victoria, Nanaimo. You go to Nanaimo and take the, you take the boat, the ship, the ferry. You get onto the ferry, the Nanaimo ferry, and you get to, to Victoria, to Victoria. you got to leave the ferry to foot, put your foot on shore. To get to, to get to the Victoria Parliament, if you say I'm not going to go, I'm going to attach to the to the ferry, then you not you cannot attach to the ferry. Otherwise, you can't go on shore. So you don't attach to any dharma. But you need the ferry. As far as the Buddhist teaching is concerned, you need the raft, the ferry. But all these in your dreams, all these other dharmas, in relationship to the to the sixth consciousness, the mono consciousness, you don't need them. Your dream, you, 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 don't, you detach them. You don't attach to it. Your, greed, your greediness, your hatred, your jealousy, your anxiety, your depression, all those things are dharmas. Whether they are matter, sound, smell, touch, or just images, or just uh, memoirs of the past, memories, or just memory, unforgettable, even unforgettable memories, you don't attach to them. Unforgettable because you are not attached to them. So you don't attach to any Dharma. I don't know if I answered that question well, but that is it for now. I understand that. Oh, let me. Okay, why in Christianity they only believe once when people die, there's nothing left, no sense, no next life. Why? In other words, what it says here in this question is Christianity believe in only one life after that person die no more left that's, that's what he said in here and I think that's what the religion usually exp explains to, to people I believe also Jesus Christ I think he was like a Buddha but they think Buddhism is false religion well I think Christianity is good religion it's not false religion it's a religion we are acceptable to all religions because all these roads are leading to room. There's so many roads leading to room, not just one road. And if the other road is longer, I'm not going to blame it. I'm not going to block it up. I'm not going to criticize it. I'm just saying that, oh, this is the road suitable for you. Because you like the scenery on its way. That scenery is faced to the ocean. The scenery is faced to the Rocky Mountains. You like the mountains more than the ocean? You go to the Rocky Mountain way. You like the ship better? You go, the, you go to the sea. I can't say, you hate the sea and take the Rocky. Do you do that? 
No. So, I think all religions, if they are really teaching humanity, kindness, compassion, uh, elimination of ego, they are good religion. They are good. Why do we have to criticize them and think they are forced, but fictitious? That's to answer the latter part of the question. Um, so you know that when next time when you go to Rome, not more than just one route. There's so many flights going there. Not just one flight. And when you go to the room, they even allow you to throw not only one coin in a fountain, three. <laughs> three coins in the fountain. Each one is looking for its happiness. You see how there's so many rows leading the room? Even coins you throw in the fountain, they allow you three. Meaning variety. Which one with the fountain blessed? We don't know. It's Christianity, they only believe in one life. We can talk about that. You believe that we only have this discrete one life and nothing left? You come to think about it. The whole universe is, if, if we can say, what is this universe make up of? This universe is characterized by space and time, right? Space. The universe is space and time. Space is horizontally, a horizontal perspective. You are in space. This is in space. Material in space. Space will include all, everything in there. Molecules, protons, electrons, humans, animals, plants, landscape, buildings, you name it. Everything in space. So universe is space, the space dimensions. If we say, if we can, if we can narrow down the universe to two dimensions, we say, dimensions of space and dimensions of time, right? Space is all-inclusive. That, that is a horizontal perspective of, of, of the universe. And what is the vertical perspective? There's the time dimensions. The time dimensions includes three dimensions by itself. The present, the past, and the future. That's time, right? What is time? Time makes up of the past, the present, and the future. Anyone more? You tell me if there's more than that. The past, the present, and the future. So there's not just the present life. Our perspective of time is, as far as one individual is concerned, the present is now. I'm talking now. And my past is what? Yesterday? Two days ago, three days ago, and my very remote past, six years ago, ten years ago, and the very beginning of my past when I was born. As far as the narrow, the narrow mind of an individual, the time when I was born, that's my past. My present is now, and my future, I don't know. There's a future tomorrow, the next, the next day tomorrow. That is only a very narrow-minded perspective of time. The Buddha said, the past, the present, and the future, not of just this one life. You come to think of it. Time is a continuity. 
how can there be one, just one discrete unit and no more past? Now, if there's no more past life, what is this life coming from? You imagine, you suddenly were born? Can you, how can you explain continuity of life? If you just born, but the Buddha said, you have a previous life, and you get into this one. It's just like the light bulb. The one, light, one light bulb is one lifetime. But that light bulb goes out. It burns. Then you change, the form burns. You change another light bulb to it. There's another life. The third light bulb, fourth light bulb, there's one thing that does not change in there. What is that? Electricity. That electricity will carries on. The continuity of it carries on. And you and your religion say that there's no electricity. The, the, the brightness comes from the bulb. No, the brightness. Bulb is just a form, the medium of the brightness. That is a continuity, an eternal continuity of electric current. Did you see that? Sure, you can see it, but you can't deny it. And you're saying, no, I'm just this one light bulb. When this light bulb burns out, it's similar to I'm dead. But there's another light bulb going up in another form. You're, you're, you're Jeanette in this light. This light bulb is called Jeanette. When Jeanette is dead, that light bulb, you change to Joan. Get another Joan in there. So your form change. But your eternal life carries on. That carries on every life. Just this example will be sufficient to explain it to you, not just one light bulb. There's so many light bulbs. Not just one lifetime, you have a previous life. And how good is this life? What is your destiny in this life? Depends on what you have done in your previous life. That's what we call karma. What kind of karma you created for your future life? If you're not enlightened, if you still have to go back to the, to the loop of reincarnation, you still carry this karma to the next life. And if you ask me, what would I become of in my next life? I'm going to counter ask you a question. What did you do in this lifetime? If this lifetime, you're compassionate, you're helpful, you're responsible, you're only doing good deeds, no bad deeds, you could be qualified for going to heaven to enjoy extreme happiness in there. In there. Not into the victims of hell, not as animals ram. The Buddha said heaven is not the ultimate, ultimate objective because after you enjoy all your happiness, after you get all this, we call it the, um, the payment of your own karma, the, 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 what do you call that, the, um, the retribution. The retribution, the retribution, you, you get the retribution of this karma, you enjoy all the happiness, and when the time is due, you still have to get back to the loop to come back again to, to other reincarnation. So, I remember uh, two years ago when I was uh, lecturing at uh, the Hong Kong Poly University, uh, the, the principal, the headmaster uh, in there, uh, he believes in Buddhism, 
And I once asked him a question, how come you get started to be interested in Buddhism? Because he's actually lecturing and teaching. He's a scientist, a very famous scientist. He's the, the, the principal of, of the university, the president of the university. And he said, I am, I'm a scientist, I, I study science, I always look at equity, I look at fairness. Um, when I look at Buddhism, I think it is fair, he said. If someone passed away and there's no next life, it's not fair. Why? Because if I did a lot of bad things in this life, I kill, I lie, I commit, all, I commit sexual misconduct, I don't have to be responsible for it. In my next life, I'm dead anyway, so I can be a criminal. As long as I, I like it, I can kill, I can, I can do anything I want because there's no karma. There's no causality. The karma will not be carried back, it will be carried to the next life. So there's no causality. There's no cause and effect. How can you deny cause and effect? If you don't believe in the continuation of life, if you only believe in one life, you are, you are cutting off the understanding of cause and effect. Because if you did something wrong in here, in this life, you won't, be, you won't get the karma because you won't appear again. So that's a very dangerous concept. That's the concept of the criminals. I do what I want as long as I'm happy. I can kill, I can rape, I can do whatever I want because I only have this life. As long as it satisfies my senses, I'm okay. But things are not like that. Because if you do create any bad karma, you carry it to your next life. You suffer yourself. You're responsible for your own action. You're responsible for your behavior, for your own thought, for your speech. So this president told me, that's the main reason I'm interested in Buddhism. Because it's fair. Otherwise it's not fair. For, for someone who did bad things, what's going to happen to him? Nothing. And it also explains a lot of differences in destinies. How come people are born rich, some people are poor, some people are healthy, some people are handsome, some people are ugly, some people are kind, some people are unkind. That's because of your destiny, and that's because of your own karma that you have created. You created your own education, you created your own background, you reveal your own wisdom. And this continuity, past, present and future, connotates one very important concept, causality. This question, I can go on, I already spent half an hour on it. No, no. So, is this satisfactory enough for you? If you have just one life, you cut off the current. You don't, you don't recognize the, the electric current. You only recognize that bulb. You only see things on its superficial meaning. You don't get dig deep into it. And it's not fair. How can you explain differences in, de in destinies? But your religion is a good religion though. Because finally you will get to that destination. Because you like to take the longer route. You go on by the, go this, by the sea. And somehow you enjoy the breeze. And you also enjoy the stormy weather though. The waves, the ups and downs. Okay, this is a Chinese question. The question asks is, what is the five line, the four line stanzas as expounded in the text that we just mentioned? There's so many 
four line stances in there. Uh, I'll tell you which ones. But the four line stances is just a, just, just a specific uh, denotation of it. Any meaning in there that contains the meaning of the four line stances will be sufficient. If you explain that to other people, the merits will be tremendous, will be even more, uh, even as great as uh, more than the merits obtained by donate by donating um, as much as uh, this, the sands of the Ganges River, uh, that much. In Buddhism, the concept of reincarnation is very important. When where, where does it come from? Why is it so important? How can Buddhism be so about reincarnation, be so sure about reincarnation? Now, I already have explained the, 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 uh, the first part of your question. The, the one I'm interested in, how can we be so sure about reincarnation? How can we be so sure about reincarnation? In other words, how, how can we believe in reincarnation? How do we believe it? How do we know that there was a... a, a, a a previous life and the next life. There's so many ways. As I said, how do you believe in things? Um, when you believe in something, there's so many ways to believe in it. And let's let's not talk uh, talk uh, uh, let's not talk in terms of uh, the philosophical concept. Let's say there's so many people born with ingenuities, their geniuses. Some 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 five year old born with playing the piano and uh, and uh, 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 Bach or Beethoven, um, uh, you know, at at age of nine could compose music. He brought his genius from previous life, and some people even remain remember previous life experience. That happens. You know, there's there's uh, there's there's studies. There's been study for a hundred years by the Western scholars, and. The most significant of, of whom is Anderson. You, you, you search into the internet, Anderson. He conducted thousands of reincarnation cases. I think it's Anderson. You check in the internet for reincarnation. You've got many, so much literature about proofs for reincarnation. I don't have to go through it here. Uh, the most significant of which is Anderson's. He spent 60, 50 years in studying cases of reincarnation. He, went, he, he, studied, he stationed in India for 20 years to study, study a lot of cases about reincarnation. Um, and you can research into it. So how can you be so sure about reincarnation? Well, that's the source. There is a passage in the Sutra of the 42 sections that discusses the relative merits of giving alms to various kinds of beings. It states in particular that to give alms to 100 million Buddhas is not as good as giving alms to a single person who does nothing, thinks nothing, practices nothing, and manifests nothing. What does this mean? Now, uh, first of all, I really have to go back to the 42 sections to, to find out whether you've got the accurate information. Because those who does nothing, thinks nothing, practices nothing, and manifests nothing philosophically, clings to nothing, that means nothing is acquired, no attachment, that's Buddha. So how can you contradict yourself by saying that giving alms to, to, to Buddha is not as, as giving alms to a single person who is the Buddha? 
this is contradiction. So we really have to check it out. But I think what it emphasizes is um, giving arms to uh, uh, um, giving arms to a person who is enlightened has a lot of merits. And if you give arms to someone who is not enlightened, of course, it's giving arms to someone who is enlightened has more merits than giving arms to people who are not enlightened. But Buddhas are enlightened. How come we say that giving to Buddha, a hundred million Buddha, is not as good as giving arms to a single person who does nothing, thinks nothing, practices nothing, and manifests nothing? What does this mean? Simply, it means that it's not quantity that counts. It's not. It's not. Um, um, it's non-attachment that counts. Nothing is acquired. Nothing to be obtained. When there's nothing to be obtained, no greediness. You've, you're approaching to purity. Okay. Next, I can understand lay people reach Buddha mind, or do they have to become monk nun to stop reincarnation? Well. To stop reincarnation, it does not matter whether you are a monk or whether you are lame, whether you are layman or a sangha member. As a sangha member, I'm a monk. If I don't practice, if I don't get enlightened, if I do bad deeds, I will never get out from reincarnation. You are a layman, but you, you practice better than me. You will be away from reincarnation. I would be submerging in life and death for a long time. So it does not matter whether I wear this robe. That I qualify as a monk, then I will be better than you. No. It's your practice that counts. It's the practice that counts. But being a, in the Sangha order, the environment, the practice is much more intensive. I tend to be easier to succeed Nirvana than you do. Because you are a layman, you're always with your family, you're attached to love, you're attached to Wealth, food, reputation, money. You don't have time to practice. But in this environment, it's easier for us to detach. It's easier for us to build up merits. Easier than you. Because you will go home. When you go home, you watch television. When you go home, you speak over the phone for one or two hours, chit-chatting, sometimes gossiping. And you go go from one temple to another. In the morning, you go to temple A. In the afternoon, to temple B. In the uh, evening, you go to temple C. You're like a rolling stone that gathers no moss. So uh, you try out different centers, and you want to rely on God, Buddha, Bodhisattva. You, you rely on everybody who's powerful. So that at the juncture of urgency, you call all of them to come to help you. You call Buddha, you call Jesus, you call oh, all of them. You, know, you feel it's better, safer to do it that way. So it does not matter whether you're a monk or nun or layman. Reincarnation practice is the most important. Arya Avalokiteshvara said he won't rest until everyone is saved. So really, in effect, if we get out of time, space, everyone is saved. Uh, until everyone is, he said he won't rest until everyone is safe. Um, now, those who have the seat, who have cultivated the seat of enlightenment, will be safe. But those who haven't got the seat of enlightenment, we don't know when he will be safe.
But if we extrapolate logically, if there's always people who the Buddhasattva and Buddhasattvas always come for saving, finally I think people will be saved. But it takes a long time for people who don't understand, who don't have the seats. So building a temple is to cultivate these seats. Whenever you enter the temple, you see all this, you listen to the Dharma, you, you know the Buddha's teaching, then a seed is planted in you. Seed does not mean the real fruit, the seed. Seed means the energy, the, the memory that is implanted in your mind. The energy, because when, whenever you see, everything I see, everything I touch, everything I, I come into contact with, would, would be in my consciousness, in my computer. It's key in the keyboard into my memory. So building a temple or calling them to come for a vegetarian meal would have that seat of reincarnation, uh, of, of enlightenment. That would, that would, when the time comes, when, when fertilizers, when the sunlight comes, it would sprout. It would sprout into, into fruits. So, everyone will be safe. For some, for some who, who, um, who, who don't listen or who continue to commit bad karma, it takes a long time. There will be a long time of suffering for him or her. So it better to be earlier. I understand that in pure land practice one must cultivate faith, vow and practice. How do I strengthen my faith uh, without it being blind faith and is the fa faith that is to be developed, the faith that Amitabha Buddha exists, that this pure land exists and that I can go there with vows and practicing Buddha name recite recitation. How, how do I strengthen my faith? You already said it. Um, but if you ask this question, I don't think you have really the good faith. You're still doubt and you're still, you're still suspicious. A faith is you believe in, I'll be reborn in there, in, in, in the pure land, I will have faith and I continue to practice. So this question, it takes a time to, to, uh, to answer it. Um, you keep on the faith, it's not blind faith. If you, if you think that Believing in a pure land is blind faith, you didn't understand it enough. You really have to dig deeper into it. Um, if you understand Chinese, then uh, you come to listen to... Uh, to um, I have a lecture on Wang, Wang, Sheng, Wang, Wang Shenglun, no lecture. I, I have a lecture in Chinese. I don't know who asked this. Probably, I don't know. So you have to come and listen to lectures. As a monk or nun, or, 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 or for people who take the five precepts, are you allowed to take remedies with a little bit of alcohol yes if it's just medicine yes you can do it because if you don't take the medicine you're not going to heal this this body is not going to heal you can practice and in some situation if you don't take medicine you will die and when you die you can't even practice so what's the point of not not taking it so you you can take it for sure you can take it is well, the, these words are so small. Is the total number, is the total number of sentient beings existing a fixed number? Well, answer that question first. Is the total in the whole universe the total number of sentient beings, which include all microorganisms, insects, worms, and everything? All the sentient beings, is there a fixed number? Interesting question. Is there a fixed number? If I say there's no fixed number. Um, then you say, how come there's no fixed number? If I say yes, that is, 
100,000 billion point 21624. You're not going to prove it. Prove I'm wrong. Are you happy then? Oh yeah. The 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 uh, the, the reference said yeah that is one two five six million point one two four five six seven eight nine ten. Oh that's the figure. I'm satisfied as long as I'm giving a figure. What's what's the point of that number? That number has no point at all. I can give you a number. If you really want a number, <laughs> if not, if there's no number, then this must mean that consciousness is either perceptually arising or, or perpetually disintegrating, because all sentient beings have consciousness. Well, I don't know what logic you follow from a fixed number or not having a fixed number. What you're saying is actually you need some explanation in the middle that if there's a fixed number, then the reincarnation. How does the reincarnation work? Um, first of all, the number is uncountable. We don't know the number. There's so many, and we don't have just this universe. There's other universes. This is one of the millions of universes, and their sentient beings can come here, and this their sentient being reincarnated here. They are we reincarnate there. It's so intricate. It's 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 uh, the number. It's you can't identify the number. There's so many universes in this world. Um, as I said, there's no point in giving the number. As far as the number of, of sentient being reincarnated. We can't trace it because it's uncountable, immeasurable. And I have answered all those questions. And let's call an end to this session.